So, since we last spoke, there's been a blue wave. There's been a fairly rocky road for US politics on the way to that, of course. But we're seeing a response in the bond markets. There's been a Brexit deal. But whether it achieved much is open to question, and certainly the pound hasn't been hugely responsive. Vaccines are being rolled out, but COVID-19 infection numbers are rising sharply in many places. So what does all this mean for the markets? What does it mean for NAB's forecast that we finished the year with? Well, welcome back. It's the morning call for the first time in the year. It's Monday, the 11th of January 2021. Good morning. Well, when we last finished, just before Christmas, the Aussie dollar was around 75.7 US cents. There were questions about whether it would reach 80. Well, it it reached 78, but it's now down to 77.6. The US dollar, despite all the political turmoil, uh, is just pretty much where we left it, actually, just over 90 on the DXY. The pound has gained on the Brexit trade deal, but not that much. It never got up to $1.40. It's now it's uh, below $1.36, and uh, still... I guess that is a bit higher than it was, but the the real movement has been in U.S. Treasury yields, ten years up uh, to one point one two percent, having ended the year uh, not much above zero point nine percent. So, will they go higher? Well, hey, let's make that the first question of the year for Ray Atrell, head of FX strategy at NAB. So, Ray, a new year, a blue wave, more fiscal stimulus coming in the United States under Joe Biden. That's presumably what's been driving bond yields. So, will they go up any more than they are already? Um, probably. Good morning, Phil, and happy new year to everybody. Nice yeah, to be back. At, um, well, that, that has been the big story, uh, you say, and a lot of that move has, has really come just in the last um, sort of 72 hours of trading or 48 hours of trading, really, um, as a direct result of the um, the Georgia Senate uh, runoffs, which obviously mm. were uh, where both of the Democratic candidates were victorious and uh, leaves the Senate, <clears throat> excuse me, in a position where it's tied 50-50 between Republicans and Democrats, which means that the incoming vice president, Kamala Harris, is going to have a, a casting vote. So effectively, um, you know, we do have this so-called blue wave or, or clean sweep, and markets have been very quick um, to move from where they were in the aftermath of the election, of saying, well, it's a status quo as far as Congress is concerned, um, and therefore you know, Joe Biden's pre-election policy agenda to some extent, maybe dead in the water to a situation where markets have now been busily pricing in the prospect yeah. of additional fiscal stimulus. And from an equity market point of view, thinking, well, the concerns that were plaguing them just in front of the election, when that blue wave looked uh, more likely than not to do with higher taxes, potential regulation across a swathe of, of sectors in the US economy or equity market, um, they've very much been, been shunted to the back burner, I think, believing that the price the, uh, the priority of the incoming Biden administration is going to be to uh, to stabilise yeah. the economy via additional fiscal stimulus. So, a trillion of to dollars. The, it's, it's, trillions. We're not talking. We're not no, talking nine hundred billion. A mere nine hundred billion <laughs> trillions now. So, so Thursday, I think is so. Joe, Joe Biden is supposedly uh, announcing his proposed package on Thursday this week, and it's going to include two thousand dollars going out to everybody. Although, not I don't think all Democrats are behind it, but there's a fair chance that's the direction it's going to take. Well, that's right. In fact, um, you know, the new uh, not the hero of the hour, but. Uh, we're going to be hearing a lot about uh, the West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin in the weeks ahead, because um, you know he's considered to be at the uh, the moderate, or you would argue, conservative end of the the Democratic political spectrum, and has already been reported as saying that uh, 
you know, he's not necessarily comfortable with the idea of a $2,000 stimulus check. So there was a bit of a rowback um, against mm-hmm. that later. But um, obviously, if, if, you know, if one or more Democratic senator is not on side, then it's going to be um, you know, problematic, not just with respect to this fiscal stimulus, but maybe with other policy measures as we go through um, Biden's first term. But um, but markets are certainly thinking that, uh, you know, something additionally will get done. Um, and the supply implications of that, I think, have been the key driver of this run up in Treasury yields. Um, how high can they go? Well, you know, I think a, a lot will depend on how much how much can get done. Um, and I think from a market perspective, particularly in currency markets, a lot also depends on what happens with inflation expectations. So how much mm. of the rise in nominal bond yields is, um, you know, it is reflected in a rise in real yields, which could sort of change the um, the dynamic or the narrative with respect to US dollar weakness. Or um, yeah, if so we so get some inflation numbers later this week, don't we? So is that could that have an influence in, in that case? Yes, although it's uh, when we talk about inflation expectations, we're really look, looking at um, what's called Treasury inflation protected securities. So and what's embodied in, in bond market pricing rather than what actual inflation is doing. So it's a much more of a forward looking view of inflation. But um, say markets are certainly prepared to believe that, um, you know, under a, a greatly enhanced fiscal stimulus, then um you know, that inherently may be more inflationary than the alternative. So I think that interplay between nominal bond yields and inflation expectations is going to be a key dynamic. And we've already got markets questioning the sort of the narrative of of ongoing US dollar weakness. Um, So, you know, I think it probably makes for uh, for somewhat more of a a perhaps a choppy or two-way markets, both with respect to equities, of course, which won't be loving the prospect of higher bond yields, given that they've been one of the key drivers of the equity rally that we've had going all the way back to March. Um, so if we are in a, into a higher bond yield environment, then that's, you know, presents something of a headwind, at least to equities. Yeah. So I think it all adds up to uh, the first quarter of the year, um, you know, being much less one way as far as markets behave than, than they were for much of the second half of 2020. But where does the US dollar go in all of this? Because, I mean, if you look on one side, you're thinking, well, you know, if the US is quick to recover because of this, because they've got the vaccine and, uh, you know, now they've got th- perhaps thousands of dollars going into people's pockets, maybe GDP will start to, to kick back up. Uh, but I guess you know if they're if they're slower than everyone else because you know they're behind the UK on the vaccine rollout, for example, uh, and you know and then there's reports as well that uh, there's a new variant that's evolved in the United States in the last couple of hours. News that that might be driving a faster spread as well. So how how does the currency react to all of that? I mean, it's still a mixed bag of news. We went into Christmas with a mixed bag of news. We're coming out with you know the, the, the things have moved around a little bit, but it's still a mixed bag, isn't it? No, absolutely it is. And uh, I think it is going to be crucial. It's not just the fact that bond yields are rising because, you know, as we've been saying almost ad nauseum through last year, there's been enough of a decline in U.S. interest rates um, and a decline in real U.S. interest rates um, Mm. to justify additional U.S. dollar weakness. So even if we're seeing a little bit of a reversal there, um, it would take a long time for that, uh, at least historically, at least for that to play out in terms of a reversal of the dollar trend. But if you know, as you suggest, if, if as a result of fiscal stimulus or, or you know, perhaps getting on top of the vaccine um, more successfully than has been the case to, today, um, you know, we see the US economy starting to improve more rapidly, say, than in Europe, for example. 
um, then that is clearly an argument to say that, uh, hang on, you know, should the dollar continue to weaken? So again, I think we're going to have some some push-me-pull-you um, dynamics yeah. playing out on the dollar. We haven't changed the forecasts that we set out in, in the late December that sees the US dollar falling by another 5% or so this year. And it's important to remember, too, the start point for this dollar decline is a very overvalued US dollar, and the US dollar is still overvalued. I did note that um, um, the uh, the Fed vice chair, um, Rich Clarida, was out on Friday remarking that uh, despite this dollar decline, it, it's not much different from its, its average over the last five years. So from that point of view, clearly no concerns from the Fed's point of view that um, there's anything mm. to see as far as... Uh, how far we've come down so far. So, uh, so on net, still, uh, still um, starting the year dollar bearish, but but clearly with a lot to think about in terms of how far and how fast that might run this year. But there are voices, aren't there, coming from the Fed that maybe they will start tapering their their bond purchases later this year, which is a, an interesting turn of events. Because I mean, there was no discussion about that at any point in the in the, in the near future at all. Well, I'd, I'd probably qualify that to say, again, Rich Clarity was saying that, uh, you know, his baseline view, which is actually a very positive one as far as the economy is concerned, is that the Fed will, will, will stand pat at least through the whole of 2020, keeping the pace of bond purchases where they are, which, as a reminder, is running at about 120 billion US dollars per month. So we did have Charles Evans out saying, well, maybe late 20, um, 21 or, or early 2022. But um, I think the market is still going to... Uh, Proceed on the basis that uh, that tapering, if it comes, is is probably more likely a 2022 issue than 2021. So, um, and, and another key issue also will be, you know, depending on how far yields rise, how comfortable the Fed is with that, and how much does it think it might pose something of a threat to economic recovery. And so, it's not inconceivable that if, if they they get concerned about that, that they could think about dialing up their purchases or extending the the average maturity of their purchases. But um, I think we've probably got a way to go on bond yields before that that thinking really starts to become sort of front and centre of the Fed's thinking. Well, certainly the, there is more confidence out there, isn't there, with uh, with this blue wave. We've seen a, a quite a sell-off in gold. Comics down uh, 4% on Friday, down 6% since the uh, Georgia Senate runoffs. Uh, and equity markets, guess which direction they're going? Still up. The Dow, 2.3% up so far this year. The S&P and NASDAQ both up 2.6%. Uh, I mean, a bit, a bit of that is because obviously we, we know last year has been because, you know, you're not seeing any returns anywhere else. But um, I mean, this has got to be because the economic prospects are looking brighter, hasn't it? Well, to some extent. But um, again, you know, you'd say, well, equity markets are telling you where you think the economy will be sort of six months hence on average. And uh, in six months time, <clears throat> you know, depending again on the course of the virus and the speed of rollout of the vaccine, um, you know, that may prove to be somewhat optimistic. We may have, as I say, mm. some headwinds coming from from the US bond market at least. But you know, what the moves we've seen last week, and particularly in the latter end of, of the week, tell you is that the say the concerns, particularly about um, you know enhanced regulation and um, you know higher corporate and other taxes as a result of a, of a so-called blue wave, are very much backseat for the time being. So clearly, they are not as yet. Um, unsettling the equity market tone, but um, yeah. So yes, yeah, so we ended the year at uh, with record highs, and uh, as I say, and, stage, and, and they carried uh, on. <laughs> still hard to but, still still hard to bet uh, to bet the house against them, isn't it? <laughs> no, and yet the bad news obviously is the fact that those coronavirus numbers continue to rise in the United States. I mean, there's some horrendous numbers coming out because uh, things have uh, have clicked up and taken up a notch, haven't they? Really, this year, uh, and then the job numbers as well, not looking too good on Friday night. No, and, and ironically. 
Why did equities go to new highs? Because the, the real economy numbers, as reflected in the jobs market, were horrible. Um, mm. And, you know, so the, the logic there clearly is, well, you know, given we, you know, the employment market has clearly turned from, from being very, very strong in the sort of middle part and, and early in Q4 to, um, you know, to now turning over, very much sort of as predicted, looking at things like the trend in jobless claims in, in the last uh, month or two at least. But um, so the logic is that, uh, well, this just uh, adds to the case for uh, more aggressive fiscal stimulus, um, more people losing their jobs and, and and needing financial support. And so markets have decided that the probability of um, you know, additional fiscal stimulus is that much higher because of these soft uh, jobless numbers. And uh, yeah. just to remind you, 140,000 uh, drop in, in non-farm payrolls. We had a, you know, probably a bigger fall relative to the size of the economy in Canada as well. So signs that, um, you know, the, 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 you know, the acceleration in the spread of the virus and related, um, you know, new um, strictures has, has, has clearly taking a toll on the labour market. But, uh, but say yeah. for equities, it's another case of, of bad news is good news for the time yeah. being at least. So an extra, it's right, an extra 52,000 deaths in the United States since just before Christmas, 13,000 more in the UK. So that's how much the rate has, has really picked up, which is absolutely shocking, isn't it? The uh, the good news, I guess, over, over, over the Christmas break was Brexit. The deal was done. Uh, wasn't uh, much of a movement in the pound, though. I mean, there was an expectation that maybe the pound could get up to $1.40, but here we are. Uh, it, it's not really spent much time over $1.36. Perhaps that's because the... Uh, the deal wasn't that great, and we, we there's going to be more jiggery. We haven't left Brexit yet, have we? I suspect. Well, I think there's two things there. One is that, uh, say, so we got the deal. It is a you know, it is a so-called skinny deal. Um, a lot of question marks over the service sector, which is the best part of eighty percent of the economy. Um, and obviously, anecdotally, that there's still there's evidently quite a lot of frictions um, still there. So we always knew a deal was going to be suboptimal relative to the status quo of the UK remaining in the EU. Just how suboptimal it is. I think remains to be seen. Um, but I also think that, um, you know, the, the rapid acceleration in the virus and what that's doing to the UK economy um, has also played a part. So Sterling, you know, gone from being an outperformer in anticipation of a deal, um, you know, has gone from being something of an underperformer. And I think it's hard to distinguish, you know, the impact of, well, is it just, a, you know, we bought the rumour of a deal and now we're selling the fact you know, or have you got this undercurrent really of uh, just how bad things are in, in the UK with respect to the virus? So, you know, we do still expect that, um, you know, Sterling will push on and we're still looking for those, that move up to and through um, 140 against the US dollar um, in the mm. first half of the year. But uh, again, I think more of a, of a two-way market is, is clearly uh, the, the way things are going to proceed in the next few weeks at least. And you're not changing the forecast for the US dollar. What about the Aussie dollar, though? I mean, uh, I, I mean, uh, Australia obviously still coping with this fairly well, although we are, you know, we're seeing the lockdowns now in, in Brisbane. But the extent, I mean, we do seem to lock down, get over the problem, and the economy can recover, um, you know, doing that more so than any, anywhere else in the world seems to manage. Well, certainly the, the Aussie dollar has been one of the big sort of outperformers. And uh, obviously, we've all been a bit surprised at just how fast the run-up was during December in particular. I mean, we met our 74 cents long-standing end-of-year forecast, um, you know, in in November. And then, bang, we were 77 cents. And as you say, a high, I think you mentioned in the intro, 78.20 um, yeah. that we saw as a high last week uh, before things started to turn around a little bit towards the latter end of the week. And our forecast that we laid out then is for uh, – around 77 cents at the end of the Q1. So we've already met that similarly on the New Zealand dollar. But again, given what we've just been saying about the potential, I think, for, for a bit more sort of two-way price action, we wouldn't be rushing to, to change those forecasts just at the moment. 
Yeah. All right. Well, China's inflation numbers today, not a great deal else. Uh, we get inflation numbers we've already mentioned later in the week for the United States, the UK GDP, US retail sales, uh, the ECB minutes as well. Uh, and uh, Silvana Tenreo, who's an uh, economist for the Bank of England, uh, is giving a talk later on uh, today, later on tonight, called Let's Talk About Negative Interest Rates. So maybe she's going to be hinting that they're going to go down that road after all. Uh, quite possibly. And again, I should probably have added that to the list of reasons why, why sterling has been been struggling a little bit, because, mm. uh, again, the, the prospects of, of, of negative rates, again, given the uh, you know the devastation that, uh, that the virus is causing to UK activity at the margin, I think, makes that more likely. And that clearly would, yeah. in the short term at least, be adding to those pressures. And just to mention, we get final Australian retail sales today. 7% was the preliminary number for November, because uh, largely because uh, Victoria was coming out of lockdown. So um, you know, not expecting a change in that, at least anyway. And I think the China inflation numbers will be a little less negative, but still showing that, uh, you know, China is still in a, in a disinflation or deflationary mindset just for the time being. Well, least. good to have you back again, Ray, and good to be back too. And uh, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Catch you again soon. Indeed. Thanks, Phil. There we are. First one of the year done. Back tomorrow morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you then.